Hi there, listeners, and welcome back to Coffee with Shay or Shy. I am your lovely host, as always, Shy. Um, today is another special day. Season three is all about these guests and trying to find people who are relatable and have attainable lifestyles. And so every single guest that I'm bringing on this podcast, I feel like has a very realistic lifestyle and has very good points that they want to talk about in the podcast. And so today's special guest is actually a longtime friend of mine. We'll kind of get into how long of a longtime friend, but it's been a long time. Um, And so today is centered around lots of different topics, you know, how I met this person, education burnout, the future of education. And as you can't tell by the title, cool mom, like mean girls, we're also going to be talking about being a mom and kind of the realities of motherhood. As we all know, I'm not a mother, I'm a dog mom, but I'm not a mother of an actual child. So this will be a very interesting perspective for listeners who are listening, who are mothers. And so I'm excited for this topic. I'm going to go ahead and let our special guest star, Katie, introduce herself. Okay. Hi, I'm Katie. Um, I'm 24. I'll be 25 soon. So 24. Um, I'm married for almost two years and a mom to a son. And I work lots in education. I do lots of stuff in education. So tell us about like who Katie is though, outside of being a mom and an educator. Um, well, outside of that, I'm a Scorpio, which Shai said in the recent episode that she hates, but I'm her favorite Scorpio. So that's really all that matters. Um, I do lots of shopping. I have ADHD. I just recently got diagnosed with bipolar two, which is an interesting diagnosis to manage recently. Um, I like reading. I'm a big book nerd I guess I do a lot of romance novels that's my thing so what are you sipping on Katie tell us the coffee recipe matcha recipe tea recipe that we should all be trying um I recently actually just went to TJ Maxx and got the Tarani's pumpkin pie syrup and it is actually so good and it doesn't have the dairy like the Starbucks one has so it doesn't upset my tummy so I do a nice little pumpkin pie latte with oat milk is it the liquid kind or is it like the thick kind it's the liquid kind so it's like it's not the sauce yeah I I don't think that this is a very popular opinion but I like uh is it Monin I think that's how you pronounce it La Monin Mm -hmm. I like their syrups a little bit better than Tarani I do too if I could find them like more local to me I would definitely get uh Monin over Tarani, because Tarani just like has like a more artificial taste, I think, than Monin does. That's what I was thinking. I got a salted caramel the other day, and I was like, that was just not very good. Like the the um Tarani one, but um the Tarani also makes like the thick liquid, and that's the pumpkin sauce that I have, like the thick one. Yeah, yeah. Are they both considered syrups? Or is one considered like a sauce? I think Starbucks calls them sauces and syrups, but I don't technically know um, outside of that what people call them. Yeah, because it's hard because they're both 
syrups. So, but you think of a different, when you, you have to think of the two different syrups, which is really funny because coffee is essentially how we met. It's not actually the first time I met Katie though. It's just like how Katie and I became friends. So the story of this, and Katie can give her perspective too. Um, Katie and I actually knew each other. What was it? The first semester or was it the second semester of college? I think we actually met uh, in our first class of college. It, it was, was um, an education class. Yep, oh gosh, an education a- class at 8 a.m. It was terrible. Was it, I'm trying to think, Was I think it was a Tuesday, Thursday, which is even worse. Yes, yes, the worst. Yeah, so any- Because they, they were so long. <laughs> they were so I know. long. Any first year out there, just know that if you take a Tuesday, Thursday class, I don't know if depending on each school, but if you take a Tuesday, Thursday class, they're an hour and a half long and never take an 8 a.m. No, never. It's funny because I think Manchester is one of the only places that does it like that. Like, that's the only campus I have heard of that does Monday, Wednesday, Fridays instead of just Monday, Wednesday, Tuesday, Thursday, and then letting students have Fridays off. (sighs) It's weird. It is weird. But that's actually how I met Katie for the first time. But then Katie actually worked at our local like Starbucks style cafe, whatever you want to call it, yep. <laughs> which is funny. Why did you take that job? Because I've always wondered that. Um, Essentially, my mom told me I was asking her for too much money. And so I was like, all right, you guys will support myself then. Um, so. It was nice because it was something that I could do early in the morning and I didn't have to dedicate a whole lot of time to. Like I would get there at like seven in the morning. I could spend however long I had before class doing it and then go to class and not have to worry about it the rest of the day. Um, And I really liked it because it was fast paced. So like it made time go by faster. So I didn't feel like I was there for hours on end. Which like... For me, I would struggle. I love fast paced. I really do. But I feel like I would struggle with communication and customer like satisfaction because people can be mean when it comes to coffee. Why are people so mean when it comes to their coffee? It's because they haven't had it yet. That's what it is. (laughs) It is also because they haven't had it. But I also think the other perspective is like a bad coffee can just ruin your day. The whole day. Yep. It's just like you start off and you're like, ah, shit, my coffee tastes terrible. It's too milky. It's too syrupy. And then you just sit and you're like, if this is how the day is going to go, I'm never going to win. Nope. I'm going back <laughs> home and going back to bed. I can't. I, might I, as think, back to bed. I hate to brag, but I really do think that I was one of the best baristas on campus because I was really good at remembering everybody's drinks and how they liked them so I also think it's because you like coffee yourself and like some baristas don't like coffee they like matcha or they like tea and then it's like hard to make coffee yeah because then it's not good because you don't know what it tastes like because yeah, you don't, you don't want to drink like. it I don't know why anyone would work at a coffee shop and they don't like coffee but they'd be like they could argue like I like matcha I like tea I don't, unpopular opinion. I think matcha tastes like grass. I can't do it. I have tried so many different flavors and types and I just can't force myself to like it. But I do like teas a lot, so. 
Chamberlain Coffee has the best matcha I've had, and it still tastes bad. Yeah, yeah, no, I got the strawberry one, and it tastes like strawberry milk, but I can still taste the grass, and I'm like, I can't, I can't get past it. I know, and I did read that, like, if you have matcha that tastes like grass, it's not good matcha, and I'm like, but they all taste like that exactly they all taste like grass to me I don't know what it is maybe it's like the soap gene with cilantro (laughs) it probably is I also think um the other part of like matcha that I don't really like um is that it gives me a headache I don't know why yeah Yeah, I think the difference in the type of caffeine I think is probably the issue because you're so used to coffee caffeine that switching to like green tea caffeine is weird (laughs) It is weird. Yeah, I do get the same way with like certain green teas. If it's too strong in caffeine, I feel a weird, weird relationship with the the tea. Yep. I will say my favorite tea is is that little bear. (laughs) The little bear. He's so Oh my goodness. He is so funny. I like that whole brand has like cute little characters on all of their things. So they do and it's so good at branding I feel like that's like I I'm not trying to reference Chamberlain coffee too much here but I do feel like that's what Chamberlain coffee was doing is like a similar thing but for coffee yes cutesy little animals and stuff that's definitely good marketing but that's how we met right yeah yep we met in class and then our friendship really blossomed because of our love for coffee it did. Yeah. Yeah. And I think in all the years that I've known you, I've learned a lot about friendship um, and relationships and what it means to have a good relationship with somebody. You and I are very similar, but also vastly different at the same time. And it's it's weird um, to be so, so similar to somebody that you think that you butt heads because you're similar, but also so vastly different that you also butt heads because you have differences. Yeah, yes. It is a very interesting dynamic we have, but we make it work. (laughs) We do, we do, yeah. And in all the time that I've known you, you know, you and I have only had, I think just one major argument, really. And, and, And we got brought back to each other. And it was a, it really was a miscommunication so, you know, knowing somebody since you were 18 and now being 24, 25, there's going to be miscommunication. Yeah, we've had like little spats, but that was like the first like and only big one. Yeah, we have we have our moments where it's just like it's just a disagreement. Um, one thing that we do have in common is you and I are both educators um, and we do find a lot of commonality and opportunity to lean on one another because we are both educators we have done the same kind of education jobs before and we've also done different education jobs which is currently what we're doing now um but at the same time we also do similar stuff in our job that it's weird yes it's very similar but also very different in how they are structured I think worst job what's the worst job in education what do you think that you've had (laughs) um probably an rbt so registered behavior technician therapist i don't know what they're calling it now but that was definitely the worst 
education job that I've had, if you want to call it that. Um, yeah. I felt like I was training animals. It was it was very much like training children to be like dogs. And I know that I have some RBT and some people who are in behavioral therapy and stuff. Um, I don't support ABA and you should know that. Um, I don't, I don't support ABA as someone who did ABA realized how harmful it was and got the fuck out. You know, we don't support ABA in this house. Nope. I don't support ABA, but at the end of the day, a paycheck's a paycheck. So yeah we were, we were just getting a paycheck like that that's what we we're doing and you and I like I think within six months we're like we need to dip yeah like, yeah it was, it was very it's very quick yeah it was very quick so to be like hey this like really sucks like I don't fundamentally like what I'm doing um because I didn't know what I was doing ahead of time and and I you started working there because I had worked there and you also didn't know because I didn't know either. Mm -hmm. I think the way they sell it as like play therapy is really like we thought it was going to be fun and we were getting to hang out with kids and play with them all day and all of that. And then you get into it and then you're like, actually, this sucks. Um, and I'm exhausted at the end of the day. I know that my client is exhausted at the end of the day. Um and a lot of days I went home crying to the point that my husband told me, like, you you need to quit right now. Like, we're not, you got to find a new job. I think that's where the burnout started. Yeah, the burnout definitely started. And it's so crazy because, you know, I went through my however many years of education. Um, and within the first six months after graduating, I was like, this sucks like I hate everything about working I would rather go back to school and that's just sad because there's a deficit within education that we need to talk about of why are people coming out and experiencing burnout within six months to a year why are teachers dropping being a teacher after a year what's mm -hmm. the problem yeah I think a lot of it comes from, one, the lack of pay in education as a whole. Like, nobody in education is being paid what they should be being paid for growing the next generation of people. Um, and also, it's that, like, you're growing the next generation of people, and all kids are so different, and they can be a lot, and they can be a little. And especially with the pandemic, like, my students now are so vastly different than what I was like that I am scared to see what happens with the kids that started elementary school in the middle of the pandemic and going forward. And I think that also led to a lot of burnout in educators now. Like the pandemic took a lot out of people. Um, <laughs> just education as a whole, like it's just exhausting. It's a very like emotionally taxing job. Um, because you're pouring pretty much everything into your students and then you're getting very little reward for it. So. Absolutely. And I don't know if anyone, I, people should know this if you're listening and you're a friend, I did formally teach for a year and I taught also college too. So I taught for really like a year and a half formally teaching for a year 
teaching as a side for a half and it was so complicated. I only had like one class that I was teaching um, and it was still so complicated. It was frustrating. I remember distinctly, and I think I've told you this story, I had one um, gal in my class and she was not, I want to say difficult because it's not that, it's that she has a lot of personality and big personalities clash with other big personalities. And I had to ask her to like leave my room because of what she was doing. And I was like, you know, this only time I've ever sent a student to the principal and it broke my heart because that student ended up not being able to come back to school because of all their behaviors. Cause that was like the final straw. And I remember going up to her afterwards and saying like, you know, I'm so sorry. If, if I had known that that was the final straw, if I had known what was going on, you know, I would have tried to rectify the situation in a better way. And she held no animosity towards me. She, she, I mean, she loved me even to the end, but it was like, how do you handle such complicated behaviors when there is no consequences to any of their actions? Yeah, I think that's a big thing that I'm trying to instill in my students now, because a lot of them come into my program thinking, you know, I'm just getting this associate's degree um, and it's free, so I might as well do it. Um, But the issue is that they're not realizing that the classes that they're failing are going towards their GPA and their GPA then goes towards if they get financial aid in the future. And they're not seeing like the long-term consequences of things because they're just looking for the instant gratification all the time. So it's really exhausting with this group of students specifically um, because they don't seem to grasp that their actions have consequences in the long run. But it, it doesn't though, because like... This goes back to my topic of like being chronically online. These students were chronically online because of, and not just social media, but they had to be connected to technology at all times in order to go through the pandemic. And so we're seeing a lot of deficits like with social communication and um, relationship building and all of those things that students could maybe handle and do before they can't really do I mean my social deficit skills since like the pandemic has just decreased so yeah I, no I, I have to agree yeah so yeah. I imagine for them it's the same yeah and I'm I'm realizing more and more that there's a big divide in the students there's the group of students that loved being online and loved every second of it. And then there's the other group of students that do better in person and want to be in person as much as possible. Um, And finding that balance in being an advisory role um, for those students while also knowing that my campus is trying to push towards being completely face-to-face and getting rid of a lot of our online classes really sucks because the group of students coming up have really only known online content for learning for a while so it's like a it's like a weird mix (laughs) to me that sounds ableist like to take away online classes that is inherently ableist I understand why they're doing it I Mm -hmm. think I think it's to push for face-to-face communication 
But I think that that's very ableist to neurodivergent folks who thrive off of online or anyone who's struggling with their mental health where online is better for them. Yeah. And I think since I have ADHD, I think online and away from people has like really great benefits because I find myself distracted every day trying to get work done in my office. Like if I'm trying to do any ounce of admin stuff and my students are loud, there I can't there's nothing I can do I have to not do it essentially like I have to distract myself with something else because I get so frustrated with everything going on around me um so I can only imagine after sitting on a computer for two years and then trying to go back in person where you're surrounded by classmates I have to think that students are also getting burnt out in education and not just educators are getting burnt out I mean yeah because a part of being neurodivergent is to having this ability to mask. And I think not even just neurodivergent folks, but I think anyone with like mental health struggles and diagnosis, I think a lot of people learn to mask very well in social situations. And for me, I work from home. I'm in education. I work from home. You and I have two different, um, you're face-to-face. I'm online. I don't get distracted really like there's no one to distract me there's no one to have a conversation with I distract myself because I have ADHD and that's that's gonna happen um but I find it more tolerable being online and dealing with students because I deal with like master students and now I'll have some some undergraduate students too because I'm in the collegiate level um it it's much easier to manage them when you're like in the safety of your own home versus like being in an office and having overhead lighting and an uncomfy chair that you can't pay for and all these things. And so I think um, a lot of, cause there's more diagnosis of neurodivergent folks. I think that a lot of educators are becoming less tolerant and students are also mm-hmm. becoming less tolerant because of being online and, and having that safety of their home. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of my students that have asked. We try to start them off in face-to-face and they're like, Katie, I can't. <laughs> I got to I gotta go back home. Like I, I genuinely cannot sit through the class. And so I'm finding it more and more that like my students are so used to being online and having that access to online classes that they can't sit through my class. My campus does like three hour classes, which is ridiculous to me. Um, But they're finding it really hard to sit through their classes. So more and more, I see them like coming back to my room in the middle of class. And I'm like, Hey, like, what are you doing? They're like, I just needed a break. I'm like, okay, like that's fine. Um, And so it's, it's becoming more common for them to like be more self-aware, I guess, because they had that time with themselves. So a lot of my students are more self-aware of how they learn best and who they are and and what they need to do well. So that's really nice. Um, And then there's those that just don't care. So (laughs) yeah, in a perfect world, I would think that we would have both if I'm being very honest, like the opportunity for online schooling, but it not being homeschooling, like it's actually like online university, but mm-hmm. for high school and middle school. You, like, yeah. I know that that sounds such like a radical idea, but like 
I don't know. I, I wish that that happened. Yeah. Yeah. It would be nice like to have, I guess what have what would have been like the pandemic where they like went from class to class and did whatever for certain hours of the day and did it whenever they needed to. And it worked out nicely. That's one thing that I will say about working like a, a nine to five or an, I work eight to five, but, um, is I don't have the flexibility in my schedule that I wish I had. Like if I could do a chunk of time working and then go home for a little while and then continue working later, I think that would also help a lot. And I think that's why students are preferring our online classes because there's not that Zoom element so they can kind of work on it when they have the capacity to work on it. Hot take, but the reason that we don't go online and the reason we push for face-to-face is because we want to prepare them for an eight to five. Hot take on that one. Yep. Literally preparing little robots to go into the workforce. Yes. And for some people, their dreams are and goals and aspirations are not to work an eight to five. For me, my dream and goals and aspirations is not to work at all. But um, my what I would prefer is working from home, doing a job where you have more flexibility and these in-person jobs don't allow for that. And, you know, teaching teachers have to pretend to be somebody they're not for eight hours a day. And then they got facade. (laughs) Yeah. You get the facade and then you don't have any time to like get your work done. Your prep period sometimes becomes students hang out period and it burns educators out because you know for you for me but for you you can retreat to your office I hope for the most part you have an you have an area to retreat to that's away from students I don't think that that's true but I know for like when I was advising I had a an office that I could retreat to away from students but not everyone I wish I wish that was my reality. My office is unfortunately like stationed directly in my classroom. So even if my students know that I'm in a meeting or something and my door is closed, they somehow magically um, find a way to be loud enough that I don't have that. That's that's a little frustrating. <laughs> it anyway. is. So a lot of the time I find myself like moving to different areas on campus where it's a little bit quieter for periods of time. So working is already very complicated. Being um, a, a nine to five worker, being an educator is very complicated. On top of that, you've made a choice that I have not made yet, because we'll say yet, because maybe one day you have a child and life is a little bit different for you. Um our relationship has also evolved because of you having a child too. And the way that we have chosen to nurture our relationship is different. Um, But you also have to think of like how different motherhood makes your job. It makes your romantic relationship. Let's kind of segue into being a mom, being a working mom, because you are a working mom um no shade or anything to any stay-at-home moms this is more just your perspective of being a working mom yeah I have nothing but respect for stay-at-home moms because I know what that life is like for at least a little while um 
but being a working mom is probably one of the hardest things ever um I I don't know I spend 45 hours plus a week with my students um and then I get maybe four hours a day with my son um and then the weekends if we're not busy doing god only knows what goes on in my world because it's always chaos it feels like um so we get about four hours a day of like uninterrupted time um together which is both sad and rewarding at the same time because I still get to see the growth I still get to see him doing amazing things but I sometimes miss out on those firsts like um I do remember his first steps, but I wasn't there for his first haircut. I wasn't there for some of his first words or the first time he said something or anything like that. Um, so that is, is something that really sucks. Um, but I will say I was not a good stay-at-home mom. Um, I think I might be better now, but I was not a newborn stay-at-home mom. Um, I hated it. I had the worst postpartum anxiety and depression, like, I was depressed because I was home all the time, but I couldn't go out and do anything because I was anxious about my baby getting sick because people are gross. Um, so being a newborn mom just wasn't for me. Being a toddler mom is so much more fun, like watching their imagination grow and watching them grow personalities and be little humans like they are is probably the most rewarding part of being a mom. But I will say labor and delivery sucked. Newborn stage sucked. Um, and I'm sure potty training here shortly is going to suck too. <laughs> um, so I, I know that there's pros and cons to both sides. Um, and I will say that I didn't want to be a mom for a really long time um, just because of the past growing up with a single parent and being that second parent to my siblings, I was like, I don't want to, I don't want to be a mom to anybody else ever again. Um, but my husband and I had talked about it and we decided to at least try. And then we got our son and he's great. And I would take it back and I love him with my whole heart. Um, but it definitely was hard in the beginning. I feel like that's the hardest part for me about whether or not I decide if I want to be a mom is like you said, being a second parent to your siblings your entire life. Um, you and I have had this discussion and we've had to clarify what this means of like being selfish and like a good balance of selfishness. And I feel like I'm not at a stage where I'm ready to give up parts of my life in order to have a child. I love children. That's, that's the hard part is like, I think too, I'd be a horrible newborn mom, but I think I'd be like a really good toddler mom and like a good older mom and, you know, going to the games and putting them in different activities and clubs and, you know, watching them grow and evolve and just watching, you know, your, your son grow and evolve has been rewarding for me. I love that every person in my, oh, I choked up for a second there. Woo. Okay. <laughs> I had to take a second there. Motherhood is a complicated topic for me, okay? Um, but watching your your friends have children can be one of the most rewarding things outside of also having your own children. 
Um, and I haven't been able to be physically present, but knowing, you know, I, I see your Snapchats and I see your videos and I see your pictures and I get to be a part of that presence, even with like my sister's children and being a part of my sister's children's lives. And I wish for my brother that he could kind of get things figured out so that I could really be an active part of his daughter's life. Um, and, and I have tried as best as I can, but it's, it's hard. It's, it's just a hard situation. Anyways, back to the topic of motherhood. It's, there's a special moment of seeing your friends become parents. Yeah. Along with that, they always talk about the special moment of becoming a mom. Um, and Joe Johnson, who is a big TikToker. I don't, I don't know exactly how many followers she has, but, um, she's from Arkansas and she just actually had her second child recently, but she talked about it after she had her daughter and she said, like, I didn't feel that instant connection with my baby that everybody talks about. And when I had my son, I thought it was going to be like this magical spark. Like you think that falling in love is, um, and it's not that <laughs> at all. Um, it's you. Have, yeah. You have to work towards that connection. You do. It's like with friends, you don't instantly connect with friends. Like you have to work towards that connection. And um, Joe talks about it taking six months with her daughter. I think it took probably close to a year with my son. It took a really long time because I just didn't understand having a baby and being a newborn mom and how to connect with something that couldn't talk or wasn't able to do the things that people can do because they're just little and don't know what's going on. And while I found it rewarding to watch all the little milestones within the first couple of months, I didn't feel that overwhelming mom joy. I think, it's, <laughs> I think a lot struggles with postpartum depression. Um, and you're sitting there and you're trying to survive and you're trying to live and you're trying to adjust to this new life because you're locked in for life when you have a child. That's it. It's, it's the biggest commitment you will ever have truly. Yeah. And you have to adjust to this new life that you don't even know what look what it's going to look like. Like, like you don't even know what motherhood's going to look like at all. <laughs> like you don't, and you have to adjust to a new life. And that's, it's hard for a lot of people. And, and I get that. And I love that Joe talks about that because people don't talk about that. People don't talk about that. We talk like, you know, when you meet your partner, like you were saying, like when you meet your partner for the first time, you're supposed to have these sparks fly and it's supposed to be this most amazing moment or, you know, you meet a friend and it's like, oh, the angels are singing and God sent them down. And it's like, what if you're just a person who doesn't feel that across every board? Yeah. Yep. Like every board. Like I said this in my last pod, or I, I think I've said this to somebody, um, with my partner, it wasn't like instant, like, oh my God, God sent him. Like, that's not how it was. And when I got my dogs, it wasn't like God sent my dogs to me or any of my friendships. It wasn't like my friendships sent to me. It was like, oh, okay, now we're changing. Okay, we're going to break for a brief 
moment to cry and also an ad and then we'll come back for more engaging conversations more tears more challenges um thanks for listening to this brief ad Thank you for listening to that brief ad just remember every time you listen to an ad you put two pennies in my pocket and i don't get any richer um so if you're thinking about eating the rich don't include me in on that one um but we were having a an interesting conversation we had to segue just for the brief ad but it is interesting in all moments of life and this is something you talk about in motherhood that it's like angels weren't singing and people talk about like, I was meant to be a mother. And do you, do you feel like you were meant to be a mother? I think to an extent I was meant to be a mom. I think I was meant to give my love to a child, whether it was mine or somebody else's. Um, and I'm grateful that I even got the chance to have a child because I know so many people that want children and aren't able to have them. So I'm so thankful that I was even able to do it. Um, but I think there were aspects of motherhood that I was expecting that everybody talks about happening and they don't <laughs> ever, um, or they just haven't for me. Um, but I think I was like, at, I mean, from a young age, kind of always what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a stay at home mom for a really long time. And then I got realistic about life and living in our society. <laughs> but yeah. I think that giving my love to somebody and being able to give them better than anything I've ever had was something that I was definitely meant to do. I think that's such a, a complicated thing for me because I, I know that it really sounds selfish, but there's a part of me that's like, I kind of want to be a mother because I want to see how I would turn out without all the trauma. And it's like, you get to see that. And that's like so exciting. Like I'm really excited for you to get to see what you would have turned out almost because, you know, you do have a boy. So to an extent, what it, what you would have turned out like, you know? Yeah. I'm actually very thankful that I had a boy because with my luck, if I had a girl, she would have got every bit of my sass and then act exactly like her dad <laughs> um which and Antonio does to an extent he's very sassy like he will fully yell at me in his little baby language um <laughs> but but he's also all of the good parts of me so that's very rewarding in itself like you get to see all the good stuff that you didn't really see in yourself before does it scare you knowing that he is gonna get the same disorders as you or has a possibility that he can I don't think so I think I'm actually more excited about it because neurodivergent people think so differently <laughs> even within the same diagnoses, um, we all act so differently and have different things that are originally ours. Like they're all uniquely us. Um, but I also think it's going to be fun to see how 
he does knowing that I have ADHD and having that knowledge going forward and knowing the signs going forward and not being shocked when a teacher brings it up randomly in third grade um, and being proactive about it and, and talking with his doctor and making sure that we do what is needed for Antonio going forward. Like if the doctor recommends trying a different diet for him or doing whatever for him just to try it out, then I'm willing to do everything. Um, and if it comes down to it and he needs medicated, like I am, then that's what we will do. It'll make his life easier. It'll make school easier. It'll make everything going forward just a little bit easier for him than it was for me. And I think since I got diagnosed so late, I am more aware of what it would have been like to be diagnosed early. <laughs> I think that's a part of motherhood that scares me. And it's like a really like real and valid thing to be scared of. And it's not because I don't think I can handle it. It's not because I don't think that people who have these diagnoses are less than. It's that every day I sit and I think my disability does truly disable me. And to know that I would give that to another child and to know that I would I would give that to somebody is like hard because it's I don't know it's like it's just hard it's just that's I don't sit and talk about my fears of motherhood with many people but for me that's like a big fear of mine is knowing that like I'm gonna pass it down yeah I think with the new bipolar diagnosis which I kind of knew I was going to have because my mom is bipolar um I think that one is a little bit scarier because I know what the low lows are like and I know what the high highs which mine aren't the highest highs but like I I know what that is like and that's the part that's a little bit scary but I also think that having somebody like us as a parent who is openly willing to talk about those experiences with our children or dogs <laughs> um like like letting them know that like being open and honest with them like I think as Antonio grows up I am going to be okay sharing with him like you know mom's not doing great right now and that's okay <laughs> and so having that person that tells you it's okay may make it less debilitating in the end having somebody who already knows those coping mechanisms and what worked for them will make it easier for him in the end yeah I struggle because I I have really bad emotional regulation because of my ADHD and we're looking at other diagnoses but we're not going to say um I have bad emotional regulation and it's like how, how can I handle, you know, my own regulation of myself while also trying to regulate a tiny little human at the same time? And how do you like regulate yourself and also the tiny little human? And then that's like, okay, well, you have a great husband, you know, your husband, your partner, whatever is going to be there to like really manage that. But it is a struggle. Like, how do you manage yourself and a tiny human? I think what I'm noticing more is 
it actually is like a trigger effect. If I'm overstimulated, then Antonio gets overstimulated, and then we're both just done for at the end of the day. Like, there's no saving us. Um, and the same goes the other way. If he's overstimulated, then he's usually throwing a temper tantrum, which then overstimulates me, and then it's just all bad. Um, but I think what's really helping is the movement towards gentle parenting and learning how to help our children deal with that um, as you're learning it because I sometimes don't know how to deal with my emotions or being overstimulated or anything that's going on and a lot of times it comes out in like anger outbursts at whoever's closest to me mm -hmm. um, but teaching Antonio like how to take deep breaths how to count to 10 and calm down a little bit which are some of the easiest like emotionally regulating things to do um is really helpful and I think while we talked a lot of crap about ABA some of the things that I learned in ABA have helped like the the distracting them with asking them a different question like a lot of times if Antonio's overstimulated I can ask him something to like ground him and then it's done he's good like and then he's fine and I think knowing some of those coping techniques and using them with myself and him helps drastically. And also having my husband and a partner who is willing to step in when I'm feeling that and letting me just disconnect for a minute and just be, um, whether that be so I can cry in our bedroom or just take a shower to just calm down. Um, he's really great about just letting me do that. Um, which is nice. It's nice to have a partner who helps, even if he himself has ADHD and is a lot to handle. I talked about this with my aunt and we were talking about being the parent of a disabled child. And really, I'm trying to, I'm trying to be sensitive on why we were talking about it because I don't want to out anyone. But we both, agree on gentle parenting and we also both agree on how frustrating it is to see someone with a child who has a disability and thinks of it as like a superpower and like you know those oh my child has autism it's a superpower and doesn't actually get them the help that they genuinely need and also thinks like in the mindset of like oh well your disability has to be this severe in order for me to find it valid and if it is severe I find it more valid than other people's disabilities now I invalidate other people and also like just not providing them gentle parenting because when you have a child who has a disability really any child you should be gentle parenting but really your child who has a disability you should be gentle parenting them. And that's a conversation we had. And it was like, it was frustrating. It was a frustrating conversation. Yeah. We agree, not her and I disagreeing. Yes, yes. Um, I it, It's funny because Antonio hasn't been diagnosed with anything yet. And not saying that he ever will, hopefully. Um, But not that anything would... I, the way I said that was wrong, but like... I hope that he has an easy life regardless of if he gets a diagnosis or not. Um, but my niece 
um, was born with a genetic condition that made her be born with her intestines outside of her body. Um, it's called gas- gastrocentesis. And because of this, uh, oh, there we go. Because of this, um, they're making sure that she doesn't have any disabilities because she was fed by um, like feeding tube. And so her mouth never learned like the drinking or the eating motions because she didn't have to do that. And so they're working with like my, my sister's actually taking her to music therapy on Friday, which is really exciting um, because she's going to meet another gastrocentesis mom. Um, But she's had like, occupational therapy, oral therapy, like anything you can think of. My sister has gone above and beyond for my niece to make sure that she was getting all of the support that she needs. Um, But then there's the flip side of that, where parents don't think that anything's wrong with their kids and they just don't get them the support that they need, even if it's very obvious that they do need some sort of support, Um, which sucks because you have those parents too. Yeah, I'm trying not to cry when I think about that because it just frustrates me (laughs) as somebody who grew up with parents who really invalidated their entire experience. Like, it's so hard to sit and watch parents be mean to tiny little humans who don't understand. And especially, like, when you have a child with a disability, like, the amount of care and attention that you need to put into that child is 10 times more than a lot of parents would expect and yet they don't care like oh yeah. you, you, you know you don't have it as severe on the spectrum as other people or or invalidates because you know their child gets panic attacks but like uh somebody else you know has it worse than you do and it's like shut up like you shouldn't have been a parent to begin with no, and I don't think anybody should ever compare anybody's diagnosis or who they are to anybody else. Like, it's it takes away the beautifulness of being a human because everybody is so unique and different. And it's one of the best parts of being a human is that there's so many different people and we're all so very different. And um, while we have these kind common diagnoses, it's so easy for them to be different. Um, and it's, it's just hard, like going out in public and seeing parents treat their children, knowing how I treat my child and seeing how some parents treat their children. It, it's hard. It is. Um, and I know that having a child with disabilities can be hard and sometimes you know you didn't have gentle parenting growing up so you're not 100% sure how to gentle parent so you're learning with the child but there's a line that you know not to cross and a lot of times parents cross it um I thankfully haven't I I he hasn't pushed me far enough yet um but I have gotten very good at apologizing I think that's a lot of things like our generation didn't get that a lot from our parents like nobody said sorry for the what happened or who we are ever um if anything a lot of the time they like guilt us because we are telling them that they did that and it really sucks but I'm working on saying sorry um a very controversial opinion 
I'm not a mom, but I have a lot of opinions about motherhood. How do you feel about people who aren't parents but have opinions about it? I think there is a line um, <laughs> and a point where some people should be allowed their opinions and some shouldn't. Um, people who are educated and know things about children um, or have children in their lives to some extent should be allowed an opinion regardless of who they are if or if they don't have children if or if they don't want children at all um they should be entitled to their opinion but I think where it feels like people are crossing the line is the people who have no experience with children who don't know anything about children at all whether it be parenthood or any aspect of a child's life um and then want to tell you that you're doing a bad job it can feel terrible um hearing from somebody that what you're doing isn't exactly what they would be doing um but I think that there is a line in which people should accept it and not accept it um and we were talking about this I think being a puppy mom is so similar to being a, new, a newborn mom because you're just exhausted all the time like you're waking up every two hours to like take them outside and like I with a baby you wake up like every two to four hours to feed them and change their diaper and then they go back to sleep and puppies pretty much do the same exact thing um and so I think to tell people because they aren't parents they don't have it they shouldn't have an opinion on parenthood or how to parent is so terrible because there's so many people that do want kids and have done so much research into children and all of that um and even have like nieces and nephews and know how they would want their nieces and nephews treated and raised um or friends kids or whatever I think that there is a line but a lot of the time everybody should be entitled to their own opinion on parenthood whether you agree with them or not just don't if somebody's giving you their opinion on parenthood you don't necessarily have to take their opinion like it, it's just theirs and it doesn't have to be yours you can agree to disagree on parenting styles or what you do I think it's really easy to just write off people as well I'm the mother or I'm the father or you know not gender specific I'm the parent I'm allowed to do whatever I want um, and that is true. You're the parent of the person, but, and I'm speaking specifically to someone that I know that doesn't take parent advice, even if it comes from another parent. And it's really frustrating that people don't accept it. I, for me, it's frustrating because I am well-educated. And so if I'm talking to someone who has a disability or a child who has a disability, you know, I come from a place of education. And you and I have had many conversations about motherhood and some have gone well, some have not gone well, and that's okay. Um, I've always told you for the most part, always take everything I say with a grain of salt because I'm not a mother. Um, so thank you for honestly being on here. Um, I appreciate your time. I appreciate you being on this. I didn't expect to get so sad, but every time I talk about motherhood, it really gets me super sad. I gotta be honest. Um, it has been great watching you become a mother, 
there have been some aspects of our friendship that has changed that I really do miss. Um, but it's because you're in a new season of life and I'm in a new season of life and that's okay. And everything changes. We met when we were 18, like, come on. Um, you know, so I'm excited to continue to watch you progress and I'm glad that you wanted to be on here. I think this is a topic that could, could definitely be continued. Um, but I appreciate your time. Thank you for being on here, Katie. Of course. Thanks for having me and let me talk.